Uh, right, so welcome to the Trend Signal podcast. Uh, it's the 20th of January 2020. Um, and uh, what we're going to be doing today is having a look at the US stock markets moving on to new all time highs. And we're also going to discuss a bit about uh, the UK uh, potentially cutting interest rates. Will they? Won't they? We're going to have a look at the backdrop of information and what that might mean to uh, trading pound dollar, euro dollar, uh, trading our equity markets, uh, and so on. So this podcast is really designed to give you a lively run through the markets, what to look out for, and how to improve your trading. My name is Adrian Boothy. I'm the head of trading here at Trendsignal. I've been trading since 2002. And today, as usual, I'm joined with uh, Chief Market Analyst uh, Jerry uh, Miller. So let's get into it, shall we? Okay, so uh, what do we know then? So in this section, uh, we're going to take a look at what happened last week, where the movement was and where the opportunities were. And I guess more importantly, how we could have known about it perhaps before the event. So, uh, Jerry, why don't you give us a run through of last week? Uh, yeah, it was all uh, uh, global stock markets really last week, Adrian. I think uh, I was just reviewing it uh, uh, yesterday uh, morning. And I don't think there was one global stock market of note, that's major global stock market, that fell last week. So they all registered significant gains. Uh, and the main driver, has, as always, is the US markets, mm. um, uh, which have very few natural sellers. In fact, all, virtually all markets have no natural sellers at this time of year. There's a lot of seasonally markets do well at this time of year. And you've had some positive fundamentals as well with... Um, uh, the signing of that first phase of the trade agreement on Wednesday, and we had some decent um, Chinese data, not the da data that you'll remember, which would be the GDP data, which was the worst in 29 years. Remember GDP looking back. Yeah. Not that, that just tells us what has happened. Markets love to know what's going to happen. Yeah. And the industrial production numbers in China, out of China were actually quite good. So I think there's a bit more positive vibe going there, and obviously China dragged down markets uh, potential last year and so for them to start recovering would be a good sign for the markets in general but yeah the Dow up 1.8 percent uh, S&P 500 up 1.97 this is in a week yeah not in a month this is a week and especially when you consider what it's already done and you sort of compare that with the movement on the FTSE over the last I don't know three or four years it's just it's incredibly it's, different it's extraordinary well you know as we discussed at the year-end um, review you know, US markets are up sort of close on 30%. And to see this carry on without any buy or leave, you know, the markets are stretched, but boy, they've been stretched further. NASDAQ, the tech heavy NASDAQ, as it's always referred to with a lot of technology uh, shares in it, up 2.29%, just one week. Extraordinary. So, what's going on? Why, why are people still buying it all the way up here? A very good question. <laughs> um, I mean, we've seen some extraordinary moves. I mean, what is it, Apple at $330? I remember when it was sort of 30 40% below that level only a year and a quarter ago. It is just the most extraordinary thing. Tesla, the most shorted stock in the market, was down at $200, now at 500 since May. Amazing. The company that was apparently going bust. I don't think so. Um, yeah, it, it, we often talk about this uh, saying, we, we've spoken about it before, Adrian, Tina, uh, there is no alternative. Uh, and there is, there is no alternative to stock markets. Um, and they are particularly strong at this time of year. And it's all sort of resulted in uh, just a lack of sellers and people are buying it up and they're pushing prices higher. So no alternative being what uh, bonds, um, cash, basically. Yeah, so t typical sort of investment uh, sector. So you'd normally have a mix of uh, 
cash, uh, bank investments, uh, fixed interest, bonds, etc. But these rates are so low these days. I mean, you're literally getting one and a quarter percent, one and a half percent if you're lucky. And if you're unlucky and you're stupid, well, not stupid enough, if you have to put your money in euros and you invest in German bunds or even Greek bonds yielding one percent. I remember when they yielded 12 percent. So there isn't much of an alternative. If you and me were choosing where we put our funds, why are you going to tie your, mar- your money in a, in, a, in a bank deposit, giving you three quarters of a percent? I suppose that's the point. In the old days, you'd have, you'd have had a portfolio which had been some in equities, some in bonds, some in whatever. You, yeah. you, you'd have spread it about a bit. Yeah. But just, I guess yeah. there's just no point. Well, really, what, 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 what you've got to remember is some people actually are in a position where they have to be conservative and they can't afford to be in equities. If you've worked all your life and build up a money... Yeah. Uh, uh, purchase pension so you've got all that cash invested in equities you're not going to risk it with a year before you retire just once the stock market does crash and there's no signs that it necessarily will but if it fell 20% or 25% you'd lose a quarter of your hard-earned pension pot but conversely I suppose if you're sitting there with your pension thinking well in 20 years time I want to have this sort of pension you ain't going to get that from bonds at the moment are you? No, 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 no I I, I absolutely agree and I'm more aggressive in my pension outlook, uh, albeit as you know, I'm 60. Uh, perhaps I shouldn't be that much, but I've, I've no intention of retiring for some time yet. Um, and and everyone takes makes a choice in that regard. But uh, typically, the older you are, the less sort of uh, aggressive you would be, and more conservative you should be as yeah. you approach that retirement day. Okay. So what about um, you know? Is is it? Are we getting nearer to a short? What's the what's the short analysis been over the last sort of ten years or so? Do you know that's interesting? So uh, we were talking about that earlier on. There's an interesting article in the FT that has looked at how well uh, markets have done, or not well, markets have done over the last decade, uh, and it makes fascinating reading. In the last decade, so remember, we're in a new one now. So 2010 to 2019, world markets. There's uh, something called the MSCI, which is a world index. So it's a global stock market index, as it were. So it takes in all the stock markets. And it entered into a bear market. Okay, just so we can define that. A bear market is one that has fallen 20% from its peak. So whatever market had got to, if it falls 20% from that particular point, it is then described as being in a bear market. So taking that reference, over the last 10 years, the World Stock Index, MSCI, World Index, has entered into a bear market for just 11 days. I mean, it's an extraordinary performance. And it's just a bit weird that we're in an environment where yields, sorry, interest rates are at record lows. Um, the economies, uh, the global economies have, have gone out of the great financial crisis, but we're at that sort of period now where are we teetering on a potentially another recession? Because of the China trade war with the U.S. Uh, and and yeah, so it's just it just makes great reading. But it's not just the world index. If you look at the U.S. markets, and the same analysis was done by the FT or the author of the article in the FT, uh, where they looked at the U.S. markets over the last ten years, and there was zero days. They didn't have a single bear market day in ten years. That's amazing, isn't but, it? If someone had asked me just off the cuff, I'd have thought, God, there must have been a few corrections. I'm sure there were some bearish days for sure. There must have been at least one 20% move. You would have yeah, thought, but clearly not. You're talking about out of oh, business days in a year, two and a half, that, uh, 250. So two and a half thousand business days, not one was a bear market. I, 
I think it's extraordinary. So uh, let's compare that to uh, the previous decade. What, what was that? Was that? Uh, I mean, well, it wasn't the same, was it? Let's it, face it. No, there have been some 2008 good, and so on. Yeah, that's right. There, there, there are equally good years if you go back sort of four or five decades. But a normal year, which is what the noughties were about, so from 00 to 10, um, US markets were in a bear market for 625 days. You might think, that's a lot. That's, it's not a lot, really. Well, it's 20% of the time. Yeah, so, 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 maybe just a bit more. There you go. So, so most of the time, it was not in a bear market. Yeah. But to have a number of naught, as, as we've just been discussing, was extraordinary. So, I guess usually in a bear market, the market's probably falling faster than it is uh, than it does when it rises. Yeah. Actually, bigger falls, aren't they, yeah. down days? But, but even you, so. Yeah, but what you've got to remember, of course, is we had very good growth. Markets did really well. But, of course, the, the noughties were um, just overwhelmed uh, the main event then was the great financial crisis absolutely yeah. to, to say we're in a bear market is an understatement it absolutely <laughs> yeah. hosed yeah big time yeah. yeah okay um the main driver last week was uh what the trade deal uh, yeah i think the trade deal as i said and i think the positive data from china which i think i, th I think probably had a, a greater effect on the markets Okay, what about the VIX? Where are we at with that? Because, you know, this US market keep grinding higher and higher, so it usually tells us about confidence being at sort of massive highs yeah, and yeah, VIX that, being at massive lows, usually. Yeah, that's, that, that's right. It's something that, you know, we, we both look at it, Adrian, and we know that it's been at quite a low level for some time, but, and that's when it's, it's referred to as the fear and greed index. So when the market is doing well, uh, the VIX goes down, there is less reason for people to buy options, they get more comfortable, uh, they're more uh, sometimes over, overly confident, uh, and that's where the VIX is heading now. The VIX has come down right close to the sort of 12 area. I think on Friday night it's settled at 12.1, uh, and the 12 level is where it tends to signify an excessive amount of confidence. Yeah, we talked about this in the, one of the podcasts in November and we just nudged below below 12. Usually, if we just get into the 11s, that's usually when it gets pretty interesting uh, in terms of a top. Although, you've seen sort of minor pullbacks in terms of the S&Ps over that time and you know, hence this lack of bear markets. Any pullbacks are you know, only a few percent, to be honest with you. It's, it, it's, and then it just goes flying straight back up. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating chart because it is almost no, uninterrupted in a way. Sure, you've got that pullback at the latter part of October, but the market has just done so well and it recovers so quickly. When you see the VIX spike up to 24, 25, as it did in uh, late August, you know, it then comes all the way back down again and the market sort of is barely affected. I say barely affected, it is affected but nothing like what you'd expect. And the reason is because the same arguments remain. Interest rates are at record lows. There is no other place to put your money, mm. regardless of the VIX popping up. Now, I'm not calling for a sudden fall in the market. That's not what this is about. We, ex If there is a surprise event, something that happens that is not expected, and that's something that we're not going to know about because it is a surprise, but it, it does mean that the market... Uh, if the market gets hit by a negative surprise, that the fall will be all the more significant. So what I'm saying is, regard it as a rubber band. It's where the market is stretched and stretched and stretched, where the VIX has been stretched a little bit too much. If there is something that negative comes out, it more will snap back. Yeah. And that's what we just have to take into account. 
Absolutely. Well, we're definitely at that 12 level now, aren't we? And you yeah. can see the sort of previous levels of support. If you're looking at this on, um, on, on the video side of it, uh, 12 here, uh, 12 here back in April. You know, this is historically a very uh, good level of support on the VIX. How much would it fall if it, indeed it does? Time will tell. We'll have I mean, to see. yeah, it, it can get stuck down at these levels for weeks. It can. So, so I personally have always found that the VIX is much better for timing a buying opportunity on equities uh, than it is uh, for uh, trying to identify the shorting opportunity yeah, for equities. Yeah. It's, it, it, you can hug this low level for quite some time yeah, up until October, November. Right. Yeah. But on the high side, up in your 20s, maybe even your 30s, you're usually only in there for a few days. Yeah, yeah. Well, the markets have just, as we've said previous weeks, they the markets have become more immune to black swan events and, and, and terrorist outrages, etc., etc. We saw that at the beginning of the year with the, with the missile attack and the assassination of Suleimani. You know, the markets recovered very quickly. Record highs, record highs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so um, well, let's have a quick look then at some of the events from last week. There wasn't a huge amount last week, but one thing I did want to very quickly refer to was... We look at the calendar from last week was retail sales in the UK, uh, yeah. which was pretty ghastly, uh, to be honest. Um, so month on month retail sales, uh, Friday, 9.30 in the morning, uh, expecting 0.5% um, uh, uh, came in at minus 0.6. What's that about? Well, you see, it's interesting because early on that week when we had our weekly workshop on the Monday, I actually pointed that out. I did think, because all the numbers that were coming out for the retailers were worse than expected, and yet the statisticians or some of the analysts were calling for an increase in retail sales. And I thought, well, how's that going to happen if all these retailers are suffering poor yeah. Christmases, uh, Christmas uh, trading? Uh, anyway, it's come out uh, at minus 0.6%, which is a bad outcome, uh, but probably not surprising, Adrian, because what have you got? You've had Brexit hadn't been concluded, not, not, not in um, uh, December. We were waiting for the election results. That was up in the air. And I think that puts a lot of people off. And I think sales were muddled up with Black Friday. Well, it takes your attention away from things. You're not going to be sitting there planning, a, I don't know, a, a, a house extension or spending loads of money on Christmas if you're worried about what might be going on with the economy or what might be going on with yeah. who might be in power. Yeah, and, you know, and it affects not just you, but the companies that you might work for. Uh, and it may mean that they have to you know get rid of people you just don't know the consequences and it just consumer sentiments is a very sort of mobile um, event really mm. um, and it's amazing how quickly that sentiments recovered since the general election not just that you've got a, a conservative government that's actually had its po its poll ratings have actually improved since the general election yeah so the Tories are now 17 points over labor which is extraordinary so with the data like this, um, obviously we had um, an extra chat from the MPC uh, was it last week or the week before. So now there's three people indicating a possible uh, rate cut for the next interest rate decision, which I think is next week, isn't it? Yeah. Um, out of the nine. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we're probably now more likely to have a rate cut? Hasn't really seen a massive sell-off in the pound. I, so are we dismissing it a touch? I I got to say that lots of articles last week about people increasing their bets on the likelihood of a rate cut from the Monetary Policy Committee next week. I don't think it's the right thing to do, and I've got a feeling that it won't happen. But what, what these three members of the MPC said was that they would be prepared to cut rates should the numbers 
warrant it. Now you might look at that and say, well, Jerry, how bad has retail sales got to get before they cut rates? Well, I, I, it's... Extenuating circumstances. I, I, I definitely, it? and if I was a member of the NPC, I'd want to know, I want to get yeah. more data. There's a big asterisk on that number, isn't there? Let's I, face I, it. I, I, I would say, and I think uh, they would be quite wise to uh, waiting, I think, um, another month or so. Okay, um, so let's move on to the next bit then. So what don't we know yet? So let's have a quick look. Um, and Jerry, can you sort of give us a rundown of the main economic numbers for the week ahead? Yeah. Um, I know today, uh, interesting one, because it's um, Martin Luther King Day, isn't it? So yeah, Martin quite Luther King Day. So quiet, potentially. Yeah, federal holiday. And uh, as you can see from the calendar, uh, that there's nothing much else out on Monday. Um, but this week's quite sort of busy, though. Um, central bank policy meetings, we've got three of them, um, with the all-important um, European Central Bank, or ECB, uh, towards the end of the week. Not um, expecting any change, though, are we? No, we'll get on to that in a second. But not just, you know, uh, the regular releases as well. You've got Trump's impeachment trial in the Senate. Davos 2020, the uh, gathering of the great and good in... Uh, is it cloisters or wherever it is, uh, Davos cloisters, um, um, where they will talk about everything and anything, uh, but don't let the press in, so it's all a bit secretive. Um, and we've also got the um, United States have got their, their fourth quarter earnings season, which starts to accelerate this week as well. So quite a lot to yeah to go through, really. Okay. Um, all right. So let's let's Monday. So today, Martin Luther King Day. We've got um, U.S. markets shut. Um, does that usually mean that we're not really going to see much movement or you typically would expect less volatility it's the markets have got their own sort of they'll take their cue from the Far East markets overnight uh, they're a bit weaker this morning but with no US markets opening you're not going to get that extra bit of impetus that you get around 12 half 12 one o'clock yeah. uh, and as data comes out in the US so it's going to be a quieter session this afternoon I'd say uh, for sure I often find it quite interesting when the US is shut because what will often happen is if, if, say, the Far East and Europe puts on a bit of a move ahead of Tuesday's open, uh, US time, um, often that move is kind of eliminated by the time the US comes in. So, you, you know, it's a bit like not on my watch, guys. It's, uh, it, 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 it's a bit it, like it, that. It, it is. The US doesn't like to be told where to open by overseas markets or make up its own mind. To be fair, the market will just drift back to where the US orders are from, uh, from, from Friday, I guess. That, but That's exactly what happens. Yeah. But, but the, the point is, I wouldn't get too uh, worried or too... Um, motivated by much about what might happen today because if there is a big move today uh, it's probably what you tend to see is a pattern of it coming back to where it actually closed on Friday it happens quite a lot actually yeah. have a look through your charts might be something for you guys to have a look through uh, in your spare time if you if you, if, you, if, you, if you find it that interesting yeah um, okay um, anything else of note uh, not not on Monday uh, obviously Tuesday we got the first um, central bank meeting this week uh, we've got the Bank of Japan's monthly uh, policy meeting. They have been under pressure to cut rates over the last uh, sort of few months uh, with, uh, with some of the numbers not reading so good. But I think that pressure is now off to a certain extent. Uh, so no rate change. And they be, they've had their current rates for months and months, if not years. Um, and so the number of times I've said no change from the Bank of Japan, God, I could just um, press repeat. 
uh, but certainly now definitely no change so uh, highly unlikely that you'll see anything happening uh, from the Bank of Japan uh, overnight so when we wake up tomorrow morning um, it'll all have been done and nothing will have happened. Sounds like a pretty cushy job. Yeah, being a Bank of Japan uh, committee member. No change? Yep, all in favour? No Brilliant. change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, and then we've got um, uh, opening arguments for the impeachment trial. Is that you expect that to impact the markets too much? Do you know, I don't think it will actually. It's, it's interesting. This this trial we expect is going to last ten days. Just to sort of recap what's gone on, it it the the impeachment articles are been sent from the House of Representatives where. Trump was impeached, but it's a very partisan House, uh, and the Democrats basically uh, voted to impeach Donald Trump, and the Republicans in the Senate will undoubtedly not convict him of anything. Obviously, uh, Trump is a Republican. A Republican, yeah. and it's dominated by the Republican Party in the Senate, uh, and I think it's highly unlikely. Uh, and, and it's interesting, I think we were discussing it earlier, Adrian, there's, a, there's actually a leading Democrat who is defending Trump, who... Is his, in his words, he's defending the American Constitution because he believes that it's been incorrectly applied, the impeachment sort of uh, um, rule, uh, where it's been used on part, it's been used too politically. It, there should be some sort of unanimity across all parties that a politician, a president, has done something wrong. Mm. And it's not. This is just the Democrats wanting to have a pop at their president, who's a Republican, in an election year. Yeah. And I think any damage they think they can inflict on him will help their chances. Although, to be fair, you could say it's in reaction to Trump having a pop at Biden. But uh... Well, you could do, and doing something, <laughs> allegedly, that wasn't right. Equally partisan. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that this is going to work out in their favour, the Democrats. I really don't. I mean, they've, they've, got, well, they've got Biden and Elizabeth Warren. They're not... I, I don't think they've got a particularly strong candidate, and I, I think they're going to... And mind you, that's why they're grasping it, and they can get hold of to give them yeah. an advantage. Absolutely. Uh, okay, Wednesday, uh, Bank of Canada. Yeah, the second uh, central bank meeting of the week. Uh, just remember, any central bank that's meeting, whatever country that it re refers to, i.e. Bank of Japan we've talked about, that would affect the Japanese yen, Japanese stock markets, and obviously Bank of Canada, that's going to affect the... Um, Canadian dollar and obviously Canadian stocks, uh, but um, Bank of Canada certainly in line with its neighbour, the Federal Reserve, just over the border in the United States. The Bank of uh, Canada is definitely going to keep rates on hold, and that's because the U.S. are keeping rates on hold, and because and rates and U.S. Are keeping rates on hold because they cut rates three times in four yeah. meetings last year, and they want to see what effect it's going to have. Absolutely, we've documented that well in previous yeah, yeah, um, yeah. podcasts, I, haven't we? But you know, you ask the question, and that's really. It's a main high-impact event, but this is what the, the, the consensus is. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, ECB uh, Thursday. Yeah, that's, I'd say, probably the most important out of the three central bank policy meetings. Uh, the European Central Bank uh, had took action, uh, what, three months ago. Uh, it's highly unlikely that anything's going to happen now. Uh, and most analysts expect rates to be kept on hold in Europe, or in the Eurozone, I should say, all year and all next year. Brilliant. Extraordinary. So uh, we could definitely push the, More time uh, off. The, 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 the repeat button there. But uh, we expect no change on rates, no change on the guidance about rates. Uh, Christine Lagarde, the new uh, president of the European Central Bank, who replaced Mario Draghi, uh, he who quoted, we'll do whatever it takes back in 2012. Uh, anyway, Lagarde is expected to announce some sort of 
details of the strategy review that the, the uh, that the bank is going to undertake. Strategy for how they govern banking and uh, and monetary policy in the uh, eurozone. So, mm-hmm. not the most interesting document for our listeners, but I might not tune into that. No, no, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not there. And not, not, not a bestseller, really. Clearly, uh, any change in guidance, which is not expected, but any change would then have an impact on uh, the euro, uh, of course. Sure. So, so do keep an eye out that for that if you yeah, do have yeah, euro yeah. positions yeah. Uh, into that number at 12.45 UK time yeah. on well, actually, Thursday. The most interesting bit, sorry to interrupt you, Adrian, I think the most interesting time is always the press conference. So, Because yeah. the actual announcement at 12.45 our time on 45 European time is a bit obvious they ain't going to be doing anything but it's really what's said uh, by Christine Lagarde uh, and she's been played she's quite a safe pair of hands but you just never know something might be said and it's definitely worth paying attention at uh at uh, one thirty, when that press conference starts on Thursday. So guidance might lean to whether they're more likely to rate cut, cut rates or any sort of hint of something Correct. basically. Absolutely. Yeah yeah that's basically it. Okay uh, and then Finally, we've got some PMI data, really, haven't we, on Friday. Uh, yeah. There's quite a bit of that. Uh, and maybe, certainly on the UK side, um, could be quite interesting in the, the follow-up to the retail sales on Friday last week. Yeah, that's right. And the, and the debate that's raging over, will they, won't they cut rates uh, next week? Uh, but uh, so the, the, the manufacturing and services PMI data, just to remind everyone, the uh, PMI data is they survey the purchasing managers, and it's basically... Are more people are more managers bullish than bearish? So um, it's if if it's above fifty, it means the sector is expanding. If it's below fifty, it means it's contracting. Um, so the key ones we look at in the euros are obviously the French and German manufacturing and services data, and basically they're all sort of looking to improve slightly, but from quite a low base. Uh, services sector in Europe is still growing. Uh, it's the manufacturing sector, particularly in Germany, that's struggling. Uh, and, you know, that, that data there is expected to come out stronger than last month. Uh, so a gradual pickup possibly this year. Certainly the DAX is very much a trade orientated index. So it's very susceptible to trade news on trade and trade flows, etc. Um, and if that does start to go better than expected, but there's a long way to go between the China and the U- China and the US regarding phase two, three, four, five, and six, uh, and none of, and only a few of the tariffs have been lifted. So, German Germany's uh, manufacturing data is going to remain uh, below 50, I think, for a little while to come. Okay, uh, UK data as well. Let's let's get onto that. Very good point. Uh, flash manufacturing PMI. Uh, that's again improving uh, so it's not just the eurozone that've got a monopoly on improving data the uk we we and this is a good sign if this data does turn out this way i think it might be another reason why the why the npc won't raise rates uh, cut rates, cut rates yeah. sorry cut rates um, so we're expecting 48.8 still below 50 so not as good as some of europe uh, the eurozone's numbers but an improving picture there as well services data bit weird in the in in December, for November's data, we got a reading of 49, but then they but then they improved it. To, they revised it to 50 on this on the services data. Sure, what's happening there? With so that, 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 that so that was um, that was in that yeah that that improved. If you just if you just hover over it, um, let's just get there. So if you hover over that, you can see the previous number was actually 49. They then revised it up to 50. 50 bang on, not contracting, not expanding. 
an okay number. And we're looking for a further improvement in that as well. So again, you know, this debate about will they cut rates, won't they? I think if we get that those sort of numbers out, I think the likelihood is we will not have a rate cut next week from the NPC. So if you're a saver, phew, you get to keep point two of a percent of yes. your uh, interest, which is, God, it's the arse end of nothing, I'm afraid, but there we go. <laughs> it's what it is. Yeah, fine. Uh, okay, Jerry, that's great. We'll, um, we'll leave it there, shall we? Okay, yep. Good stuff. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jerry. Okay, brilliant. So uh, let's have a look at what we should be trading. We're going to go through, I'm going to have a look at a few of the charts, have looked through some of the opportunities that are kicking around at the moment there. We've been speaking quite a bit lately about pound against the US dollar. Uh, we've been in a sort of a steady, small decline, quite a tight range on the pound against the US dollar for the last uh, week to 10 days. We are heading still back down to that sort of 129.50 area there. Um, we've been talking about that uh, in recent weeks. Why is that an interesting level? It's down to here where these pivots are. We didn't quite make it here last week. Uh, we're just nudging towards it again today. I think this is an interesting level uh, when you look at the backdrop of the support level, what was resistance, now found support. Are we going to find support again there? And also the uptrend that we've got on the pound against the US dollar as well. So Friday's PMI numbers, as we discussed with Jerry, they're going to be really interesting uh, to determine whether we bounce off here, um, i.e. are we less likely to cut rates? If we're more likely to cut rates, you're probably going to see the pound starting to slip more there. So keep an eye out for that PMI data there. I think it's going to be quite an interesting one. With regards to the euro uh, against the US dollar, uh, again, let's just bring that chart up uh, here. We can see that this one again starting to uh, break down, moving again back in line with this longer term downtrend that we're seeing here and have seen uh, for a number of months there. And of course, the uh, interest rate lack of change there is unlikely to do uh, too much there if guidance uh, is quite muted. Uh, on Thursday's ECB uh, data there. Uh, support uh, is pretty much bang on where we are right now. You can see uh, this number again from here, 110.81. We hit it here, here, uh, here again. We held off on that level there again here, and we're just testing towards just a nudge uh, lower. Uh, in fact, it's right on it, that 1080.81 there. I think that's going to be an interesting level of support. We're right on the level there. See whether we can find an element of a lift uh, there on Euro uh, dollar there. The next level after that is down to this little cluster of green pivot points at around 110.06. Uh, it's not massively low, only about sort of, uh, what, 70 pips or so. Just goes to show uh, just how tight some of these ranges are on these FX pairs with an ATR on Euro dollar of just 46 pips right now. It is quite narrow uh, at... Uh, this point. Uh, gold, we've talked about this recently. Massive uptrend, been in an uptrend since uh, what, December, November uh, 2018. Uh, what we're talking about here is this green line uh, continuing to push up. This is favoring buy trades. So we prefer buy trades. We're not really looking at short trades at the moment. Hence, this pullback here, not really that much of interest. Yeah, sure, it might well fall. It might well fall down to around 1510, like we discussed last week. But actually, the preference for us is very much looking to the buy side. We're positive this green line here on the monthly chart 
and also a green line here on the weekly chart. So longer term trends looking to push the market up. And what you're seeing is we, in fact, you can see the big rally here. Lovely buy trade on gold back from the beginning of December. Now we're starting to move back green again here. And we're starting to see all of those patterns starting to look to, to push this price back up again. Look to 1581, might find a little bit of resistance up at that level there. A close above 1581 should see the gold market uh, continue to push on uh, quite nicely higher uh, from there. Okay. As for FTSE, uh, we'll go through that relatively quickly as well. Jerry talked about the big strong week that was last week. It is, and we've pulled back a little bit here. Crucially, uh, as for uh, the, the weekly charts, um, you know, we are sort of holding off on those highs. The monthlies holding off on this pivot point there. We've just nudged towards that resistance level. So there is resistance up here on the FTSE. Uh, 76, 77 uh, is quite a big uh, number. Let me just compress this chart here. Uh, there we are. Uh, 76, 77, the big sell off back from the end of July there. We just nudged that there back in December, found an element of resistance there. Will we find an element of resistance? It seems so, so far. So let's keep an eye out on that one uh, on the FTSE there. And we'll look to short trades from here, particularly with an attractive level of the VIX. If the market does come off, first target, that sort of 75, 70 level. And then down here, this cluster of X previous resistance pivots, that could be support down that sort of 74.30 level. So keep an eye out for those levels there. Maybe set some alerts, 74.30. Let's see an, uh, if the market gets down there, what it's looking like. Maybe there'll be some buying opportunities down there. We'll have a look. Okay, that's it for what we should be trading. So in today's defining trading section, we're going to have a look at short selling. Now, this may be uh, familiar to a lot of traders out there, but it's definitely not familiar for a lot of new traders. A lot of people who are perhaps more familiar with investing, where you buy something, hold on to it and expect the price or hope the price will then rise over time, maybe looking to pick up some dividends and so on. Short selling is about speculating on the direction of something falling. It's about looking to make money on, on the price going down, whether that's as an actual speculative trade, or whether that's to, um, it's not really hedging, but you can speculate on prices falling, make money on uh, falling prices. So what's the backdrop of this? It's interesting now because when you spread bet, you trade CFDs, you trade futures, the idea of short selling is pretty straightforward because what we're tending to do is speculate on direction. If you think the market's going to go up, you'll buy a certain number of CFDs, a spread bet, you'll buy a number of future contracts and so on. If you think the market's going to go down, you'll sell it. And it's a bit of a weird concept this, but you're selling something that you don't even own. You're just simply speculating on the direction. So if you think the market is more likely to fall over the next period of time, uh, then you would hit the sell button instead of the buy button. So they're just focusing on the direction of the trade there. And that can be actually a very effective way of trading because very often when the market does fall or stock market falls, it usually falls more quickly uh, than it does rise. And what it can do is lead to some, some significant profitable trading opportunities. Perhaps as we discussed with Jerry earlier, not so at the moment with the US stock market, but if the market is going to fall in due course and there will be a fall at some point in the future, it's important to get an idea about what short selling is all about. So it's just about speculating on the direction of the market. Now, in the old days, the reason why it's called short selling or selling short, it's selling something that you don't own with a view to then buying it back later at a lower price. Um, in the old days, when I started my trading back in 2001, 
uh, well, my first job, sorry, was in 2001, straight out of uni, um, was, was at a stockbroker's. And what happened then was people would short sell actual stock rather than CFDs or spread bets at this company. And what they would do is they'd do something on an extended settlement. So they would be able to sell a particular stock on the expectation that that stock price will fall and then look to buy it back later on. Now normally on a share, you've got three days to then buy that stock back um, because you need to deliver that, that stock to the market, don't you? If you sell something, you're selling it to somebody else and they want it off you. And you have three days to provide that person with that stock and it's all dealt with by the exchange. The point really being is a lot of short sellers would do something on an extended settlement and they might have 20 days to then deliver that stock to the buyer. And that's fine, so you have 20 days to then buy the back, buy back later on. And that's great, that was a great way of trading. Uh, and of course, things have gone on a little bit. Effectively, the idea being that you're selling something short, short of it, you don't own it, and then you buy it back later. With the advent of CFDs and then spread bets, it became that there was no settlement date. Um, weirdly enough though, you could still short sell. But then, if you're being exchanged and matched with somebody else, what's actually happening there? Because somebody there is waiting for that stock, aren't they? So how does that work? If you're short selling and you've got no expiry date on it, like your three-day settlement or your 20-day settlement, how does that work when you're trading those derivatives? It works by lending stock. So what will typically happen is that the broker or the powers that be uh, in the background there, there would be uh, pension funds, hedge funds, and they'd look to make a little bit more by lending stock. So the guy that was waiting, or woman that was waiting to receive the stock that you've sold to them uh, by your short trade, uh, what would happen is that that would be stock that's lent to them, and then eventually when you closed out your short, it would make good on the lender, and he would make some money uh, from lending that stock. It's a nice way for a big pension fund, hedge funds, and so on, to actually make a nice little bit of income uh, from lending stock. And you can view, often find on certain stockbrokers, particularly in the US, you'll talk about lending stock fees and so on. So if you short sell traditional shares, there'll be a fee uh, for going over a certain settlement period, okay? We're getting into mega detail here. The whole concept of short selling is quite straightforward, really. It's just about speculating on direction. If you think a market, a foreign exchange currency, or a commodity, a share, an index is going to fall, you simply hit the sell button with a view to then buying it back later and hopefully at a lower price. Okay, that's pretty much it. Hopefully that made sense. Now, if you want to learn more about trading and trading with TrendSignal, uh, the action certainly does not stop at this podcast. So what you want is a, a more of an actionable content, a way of actually being able to identify trading opportunities. Then what you need to do is find your way onto one of our live trading events. Now, at these events, we will go through the rules of our trading processes and actually explain those rules and actually help you to start to develop a trading plan. So as we say here, learning three simple rules, three simple steps to help boost your trading results. Now, if you'd like to attend one of these live events, we do four live events typically each week. You can find your way to our website trend-signal.com and there'll be an, an option to register for a live event there otherwise you can go straight to our, our booking page and I'll sh read out the um, short link here which is bit.ly bit so bit.ly slash learn ts 
So bit.ly slash learn TS and book yourself in for one of our live upcoming events that we're holding this week. Um, and also, if you want to be more aware about the podcast we've got coming up, uh, you can tune in, listen, watch. You can watch it live on GoToWebinar and you can register on our website there. Uh, what you can also do is you can tune in on Apple iTunes, tune in on SoundCloud, Spotify, and you can watch and listen uh, on YouTube. And if you want to get priority access to that, just go through to our website. That's trend-signal.com slash trendsignal-blog. So that's trend-signal.com slash trendsignal-blog. All the best, guys. Have a great week's trading, and we look forward to catching you again next time. Bye-bye for now.